The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. (laughs) And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, damn it, Jim, I'm a Kaluan, not a Vulcan. The Legion meets the Federation, leading to a number of logistical issues, plus a slate of reviews to guide your purchases, the news you want, and the charm that makes us your favorite podcast. It's okay. We know you love us. So roll out the barrel, kick out the jams, bust out the goldfish crackers, and wait for the captain to turn off the no-smoking sign, because the Major Spoilers podcast has reached cruising altitude. And that's Welcome to issue 926 of the Major Spoilers podcast. So excited this week because we get to talk. One of Ashley's favorite things and one of Matthew's favorite things smashing together Star Trek and the Legion of Superheroes. It's like you got your peanut butter and my chocolate poutine and ribs. I mean, that probably wouldn't be a horrible combination. I've had ribs with uh, I've had poutine with short rib on it. It, it, So we're going to digress. We just spent a lot of time talking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier (laughs) and Lupin and the Lost Boys in our major spoilers pre-show. You can go and listen to that over at um, patreon.com slash major spoilers. Thank you, everyone who already gets that pre-show. Is poutine usually just a meal by itself, or does it usually come as a side for something? Um, so that depends on how Canadian you are. If you are like oh, okay. a uh, contemporary Canadian, a modern Canadian, it's a bougie um, lunch option, because it's always very elevated now. Like Most of the poutine I've had in my like, life comes with, comes with goat cheese. Like pho um, and- or like... Uh- Yes, yes. Something that was like, like, you know how sort of, um, uh, very like simple food is now being elevated. Like how there's like Mac and fancy Mac and cheese now. Um, $9 peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Oh, fried peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Hell yeah. But if you're like a lumberjack level Canadian to which I am related, but could never achieve due to my family being French and tiny people, um, (laughs) you will eat. A plate of it the size of my entire head and then a burger on top of it absolutely okay all right i was just curious i'm not i'm not up on my uh, canadian cuisine so uh that's why i asked these well, questions you, you cornered about a quarter of the market so we <laughs> go. It depends on whether you're like you're like vancouver or if <laughs> next, you're like next way, week way, you're like northwest territories yeah next week we will talk uh, tim hortons right here on the major spoilers podcast yep. so stick around for all of that fun canadian stuff flag on the back window. in the meantime <laughs> Let us do some news. Dark Horse Entertainment has announced that Blake Lively has been cast to play the lead in the Netflix adaptation of Lady Killer based on the comic book series from Joel Jones and Jamie S. Rich. Here's how Dark Horse describes the series. Quote, by all appearances, Josie Shuler is the perfect 1950s housewife. But when she's not catering to the needs of her family, she leads a secret life as a highly trained killer for hire. Unquote. Ooh, sounds spooky. Diablo Cody is adapting the screenplay. I don't know if she's uh, directing this. Uh, but uh, at this time, we don't have any word on a release date. Ashley, you excited for this news? I love Lady Keller. Uh, I love Jamie Rich. I love Joelle Jones. The series is great. It's been going on for a while. I'm so excited. Um, I I do not love Blake Lively as much as I love the creative team, but I will say I do think she's really good casting. Um, and one of the things that I always think of when I think of Lady Killers is lady killer single because she's the assassin right is the uh iconic covers and the pinups yes. inside and blake lively very much evokes that for me so i'm 
I'm very much looking forward to it. And I think Netflix is the right place to put this because we'll get um, some of those uh, fun adult murdery type themes that run through it. So, yeah, I was I was hyped when I saw this news. Yeah, very good. And you can read some of those uh, Lady Killer reviews over at Majorspoilers.com. And I'm sure we will do a trade collection as we get closer to the release of this yes. uh, series on Netflix. Hey, but you know what else is coming to a streaming service, but a competitive streaming service? Miss Marvel and production has wrapped on Disney Plus's Miss Marvel series after moving filming locations from Georgia to Thailand to avoid COVID issues. Does Thailand have COVID on lockdown? Good for them. Miss Marvel is a six-part series that features Iman Vellani as Kamala Khan, a New Jersey-raised teenager who discovers that she has special powers. The series will see Kamala fighting finding, sorry, fighting out, finding out who she is and learning about relationships. And unlike WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Miss Marvel has four directors tackling the series, which is very interesting. I bet it's for the four locations they filmed in because they also filmed in Toronto because Amon is Canadian. Okay, that makes a lot of sense because whenever I first saw like four directors, I was like, wow, that's weird because Winter Soldier did the same director. We talked about this last week on the show. Uh, WandaVision did the same director because he was tuned in for everything and they're just like, yeah, let's just try this. And so maybe you're right because each location had different requirements. They just decided to do a different director on that. Well, Um, it might have been easier than trying to get everybody tested and passported and visaed and all of that. Yeah. The other thing, so I, I know it is COVID issues is the reason why Marvel picked up and uh, left Georgia to go to Thailand. But, you know, with the, a lot of the Georgia shenanigans that are going on, are you going to think that we're going to see more studios leave Georgia? Or do you think that Tyler Perry's big studio now and uh, everything else that's going on in Georgia is going to keep those those studios coming back for more? Uh, well, Georgia does have a Pinewood. Yeah. Um, which is also not in insignificant in terms of the filmscape. Um I will say that I do think it's interesting that studios are choosing to take a social stance in this way. And I am definitely in support of it. I just wish that it would trickle down to their paying some of their lower ranked workers a living wage. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but no, I don't I don't think in the long run. No, ultimately, because there's huge studios there. Yeah, that's that's what I was wondering, too, because like Tyler Perry invested a ton of money into that uh, military base that he converted into a a major studio. And I knew that Pinewood had moved a a section there that they've been shooting most of the Marvel movies there um, uh, since what Thor two, they've been doing a lot of the stuff there in, in Georgia. So did the original, did the original Thor shoot there or did it shoot in New Mexico? I think it shot in New Mexico. Yeah. 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 Anyway, we got some more cool movie and maybe some Marvel news there too, Rodrigo. Oh yeah. So rumor has it that Dave Bautista has been cast in the sequel to Knives Out. No word on what the role may uh, on what role he's going to play in the Netflix movie, uh, but we do know Daniel Craig is returning as Detective Benoit Blanc, and I want to say that we know Edward Norton has signed on as well. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, Ryan Johnson is returning to direct the sequel, which is expected to start production in Greece uh, this summer. Major spoilerites may remember that Netflix purchased the rights to Knives Out 2 and Knives Out 3 for a cool $468 million. That is just a crazy amount of money for Netflix to do that. But And I'm, I'm really uh, concerned, Ashley, why the main studios didn't want to jump on two more movies of Knives Out. It seemed to be a sleeper hit. Everybody loved it. It's got a, it had a great cast. I really enjoyed Knives Out, the first movie, but maybe people uh, softened on Ryan Johnson and Netflix was just like, yeah, we'll, we'll pay a ton of money. To get you to I mean, do two more movies. I would argue it's because the first movie was bad, but that's clearly yeah. just what I think. 
Um, I don't know. Um, I also don't know if after his um, very public break with Disney, if a lot of other major studios wanted to sign oh, on yeah. to that. And yeah, yeah. look, based on Disney's track record, I'm not even saying that he's wrong, but that was a huge to do. Uh, I think uh, 468, who knows how much, even if he even if he spends $200 million on each of those sequels, he's still walking away with $68 million in his pocket. So he's fine yeah <laughs> like, don't feel bad for Ryan Johnson. and isn't it his wife uh doesn't his wife do that uh, uh true hollywood stories or whatever the uh, the show is uh, uh, yes you must Benson. remember this yeah you must remember this new season just kicked off uh last week or so so um might want to go check that out if you're you're yeah. a fan of that stuff matthew wrap us up this week will you okay so speaking of wrestling because dave batista former that's World right champion Coming to the ring at a combined weight of 726 pounds, Kofi Kingston, Xavier Woods, and Big E. Collectively, they have 11 tag team championships in WWE, including longest reign in WWE history, and now champions of the comic books. In July, Boom Studios is going to allow fans to discover the secret origins of the new day, the struggles of these three superstars before the days where they came together. And I got to admit, they're a fascinating team. Uh, let's see in the pages of WWE, colon, The New Day, colon, The Power of Positivity, written by Evan Narcisse and Austin Walker with art by Daniel Bayliss. I'm telling you, if you like wrestling in a modern context, it might be worth checking out. I mean, I don't necessarily read wrestling comics, but Kofi and Xavier and Big E are actually comic book and manga and anime nerds. Yeah. I would like to see what this book does. And in the worst case scenario, it should be entertaining. I think it was the last time that San Diego Comic-Con was a thing. The three of them showed up at the uh, the Boom Studios panel to announce their WWE books. I don't know if it was this one or if they've had one previous to this, because I know that Boom has been doing a lot of WWE comics over the last couple of years. Uh, but it's good to see this one finally hit the shelf in July. Wrestling fans, go grab this stuff. The new day. That's right. And listeners, if you are listening for even more news, not listening for more news, if you want more news, head over to uh, Majorspoilers.com. If you want to listen we, to more news. I mean, you can. I mean, there are certain things where you can have your RSS reader read things out to you if you've got that. Uh, just ask Siri. Hey, Siri, read me Majorspoilers.com and she'll probably do it for you. Uh, but if you want more news, more reviews, a whole bunch of other things, head over to Majorspoilers.com. And if you were intrigued, if you were intrigued, what I said a little bit earlier about us talking about more of the Falcon and Winter Soldier, the Lost Boys, uh, uh, Legion of Superheroes talk in the Major Spoilers pre-show, and you want to know where you can find that, you can get an exclusive RSS feed that you can subscribe. You you just you copy the link. It's based on your subscription. You copy that link, you paste it into whatever podcast player that you have, and you will get all of those new shows coming to your podcast player when we release them. We've got like three or four that come out each week that are exclusive to our patrons. And hey, new patrons this week, we have, what are, what are these names? Disco Gribs and Delaney are two new patrons that have joined this week. We would love for you to join our Patreon and join a growing group of super fans around the world. We want to see more super fans around the world. We want to get one of our super fans from Antarctica to join in on this fun action. Head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers. Every little bit helps. We certainly appreciate all of the support. We understand not everybody can support right now, but if you can, please do so. And if you can't, uh, how about you spread the word? How about you tell everybody about the Major Spoilers Podcast Network, the favorite things that you like. You can go to your social medias and spread the good word. Point them all back to Majorspoilers.com. Thank you so much in advance. Now for some reviews. Three. 
of these. I haven't looked to see what everybody's reviewing this week. Looks like we've got some people doing some stuff in the future, the far future, and some stuff from last week. So, Matthew, why don't we start off with you this week? Because it looks like you have got Commanders in Crisis number eight that came out last week from Image Comics. I have. It is, weirdly, my favorite book, written by Steve Orlando, who, if you see his name on a comic, just go ahead and pick it up. Worst case scenario, it's going to be fun. Art by David Tinto. Uh, Commanders in Crisis, if I haven't talked about it on the show before, and I'm pretty sure I have, is the story of five people from alternate universes who have ended up on the last surviving universe and become a superhero team called the Crisis Command. The trick is that they were all the president of the United States in their world. And they're on the equivalent of the Evil Earth 3, where the bad guys seem to win. Uh, the current arc, and I hope there's more arcs, boy, there should be more arcs of this book because it's so much fun. Uh, the current arc deals with the literal death of empathy. Uh, empathy has been turned into a human being and stabbed, and the Crisis Command is now trying to figure out what they can do to try and save the day. And in so doing, we have found that their leader, uh, whose name is Frontier, is actually not who she claims to be. Frontier has been lying to everyone and has spent the last two issues on kind of a vision quest with this goddess from another universe. And as this issue comes to a close, we discover three important things. One, this evil Earth suddenly has its own native superheroes, and they seem to be on the side of good, unlike most of the things that are happening. Number two, the United States is trying to secede and break up into 50 individual parts, which is bad and dumb, and hopefully someone will teach them not to do that because it's stupid. And number three, sometimes when they ask if you're a god, Ray, you have to say yes. Now, what does this mean, you ask? It means this is a good comic. I've been harping about this book since issue one. Steven's like, hey, let's read issue one. On the issue one was review. yeah, it was a fun issue. I, I enjoyed it. I just didn't I didn't follow it after that because it seemed to come out sporadically. Um, I think it's been on a, a pretty close to monthly. I want to say that maybe the uh, you know the year of hell affected it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a really solid book, and I think the thing that I love the most about it is the fact that if you're one of those people complaining about how people are shoving politics into your comics, this is not for you. If you're somebody who realizes that art is political, all art is political, and sometimes it's really fun when the art is overtly political, definitely pick this up. It's five characters. They have great representation. They have people of color. They have, uh, you know, prize fighter, of course, is a gay man. Prize fighter and his boyfriend are part of the major plot line here. It's classic superhero action, but it's done in a way that feels modern, but importantly, not postmodern. They're not deconstructing everything. It's almost like they're reconstructing an almost golden age superhero take, not golden, silver age. Let's say a silver age superhero take. And that is an important distinction for me and literally no one else. So, uh, but yes, they're trying to kind of rebuild comics in an era where people ask, do superheroes cause more damage than they actually fix? And I really love this book. This is a four-star affair. The only downside that I have out of this is there are some transitional bits in the first part of the story that don't work for me. And also, there's a guy who seems to be a duck. 
and I have no explanation of why this guy is or is not a duck, and I really want to know why there's a duck, but hey, you know, sometimes there's a duck. But beautifully drawn, David Tinto does really, really cool superheroes, and I'm not the guy who's like, hey, did you see the sexy superhero? But uh, all of these people are hot. I mean, I'm, I'm, Price Fighter is not my type, but I look at him and I go, yeah, I can see. People would say he's hot. So if you're looking for a comic that is both classical and new wave and something that's going to bring it all together, like the closing scene of Xanadu, where you got like Fred Astaire on one side and then you've got the guy from the Warriors on the other side and the roller disco and the 40s and the, the big band, four slices of meatloaf for Commanders in Crisis number 8 from Image Comics. If you understood even a word of what I just said, go buy this comic right now. You will not regret it. All right. Thank you, Matthew. Andrew, didn't, didn't you just review Resident Alien last week? Or are you reviewing the same comic again this week? What's going on? Uh, no. Uh, I reviewed uh, the last comic. Uh, uh, critical. Oh, sorry. Yes, the last comic uh, at, the, at the very tail end or perhaps past our 10-day window. Um, and this oh. is now the next issue of Resident Alien, which comes out next week. No, this week, the 12th. Oh, yeah, this week. Yeah. Yep. So once again, I've got my uh, weeks confused. But at least this time the week wasn't in April. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, uh, Resident Alien, you're right here, number six. Uh, number six of six for this volume, also volume six, which made this solicitation difficult to search for because just typing in Resident Alien, you're right, is here. Number six just took me to press releases for the volume, but I found it. Um, so this is the end of what kind of purports to be the final volume of Resident Alien. Um, Harry is going to get picked up by his people. Uh, he's going to leave the Earth, or at least that's how things look. He has this um, agent, uh, this government agent, chasing him. He's figured it all out. He knows everything. He's been spying on him. He heard him communicating with his uh, home command and everything. A lot of, or a handful of Harry's friends already knew uh, that he was an alien. Uh, partially due to this, you know, big asterisk that I always have about this uh, series that it has like Native American mysticism as one of the as one of the things that as like one of the themes. And I'm like, I don't know if this is being done well and respectfully, um, but I haven't heard anybody complain yet, so that's probably good. Um, yeah. I, it something happens at the end of this. There is a definitive ending here, but also something that leaves things open. Um, I'm going to give this four and a half slices of meatloaf. Um, this volume has been good. It's not the best volume of Resident Alien, um, but it's not. Uh, it's definitely not bad. Um, interestingly, uh, in, in like in really classical Resident Alien form. The sci-fi alien stuff is not the the relevant stuff, right? It's the relationships, it's the small dangers and problems that the people of this town uh, get into. Um, you know, a couple issues ago, a little girl was get, gets kidnapped, and Harry has to intervene. Um, 
it's you know it's it's a fun uh, little book and 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 partially uh, you know now that this is and the sort of I guess the the primary story of Resident Alien is done. It kind of makes me look back at the show and be like, I know that this is like a lot of fun and really funny, but I do kind of wish that we had gotten Alien Columbo or like I guess Alien Diagnosis Murder. <laughs> um, Alien Dick Van Dyke, which is to say Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, pretty much. Um so yeah, uh, four and a half slices of meatloaf. Pick it up if you've been reading Resident Alien. If not, then don't. <laughs> this is this is a terrible jumping on point. <laughs> last issue of the probably yeah, the entire series. The, yeah. yeah, cool. Thank you for that. Uh, coming out this week from Image Comics, it's Time Before Time number one. This is a uh, as you might have guessed from the title, a time travel story. This is interesting. It's the year twenty one forty, and there's a. I want to say it's like a mafia thing. It's, it's a syndicate is what they call it. It's a criminal organization that will use time travel devices to do tasks. Like if you're somebody that wants a hoverboard from the year 3333, uh, they will use one of their time agents to go to the future, pick it up and bring it back to you. Or if you're trying to escape the pa- uh, escape to the past to a better time when the, the planet isn't about to uh, boil away into nothingness. You can have somebody, uh, you know, take you back into the 1960s or the 1980s or whatever it may be. So we get um, uh, introduced in this series to uh, Tatsuo and Oscar, two guys that are essentially time agents. So part of this and and just that whole jumping back and forth in the mobster uh, angle of it makes it feel a little bit like Looper, but it's not go kill yourself, at least not yet. Um, But they have this plan where they just want to get out. They are into the syndicate for a bunch of money. And every time they do jobs, it it takes off uh, the amount that they owe. But they figure out that maybe if we just steal a time machine and go into the past, they won't be or the future. They won't be able to come and get us. And we're going to do that. And then Oscar has to go do a run and he gets stuck in the future for like 35, 40 years before they're able to bring him back to the present time. And he's just had enough with it. He wants to kill himself. And Tetsuro still uh, needs to do some more jobs for the syndicate. And so their dreams have kind of been uh, dashed when all of a sudden this woman shows up as he's about ready to jump to a different time. And all heck breaks loose because there's something about her that's going to get a bunch of people in trouble. Uh, I really kind of dug this. I wasn't wasn't really hot on the art, uh, but it did grow on me as the issue progressed. But uh, time before time, I really kind of dug what they're trying to do with time travel and make it that there's a lot of time travelers. And there's a lot of different syndicates that are using time travel to run their organizations. And I I, kind of dug that that style. It feels very familiar. It doesn't feel like we're doing a back to the future type thing. It doesn't feel like we're doing, um, you know, any other time travel movie. It, it, the most the closest that it feels is Looper. And if you liked Looper, then I think you might enjoy Time Before Time number one out this week from Image Comics. I'm giving it four and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. I thought it was very satisfying and filling. And I would certainly come back for a second helping uh, for the next issue. And I probably will. So there you go. That's Time Before Time number one out this week. Ashley, you get to wrap up our review segment this week with Nuclear Power number two from Fanbase Press. Now, we haven't done a lot of Fanbase Press stuff uh, recently, but uh, Nuclear Power uh, seems to be one that a lot of people are paying attention to. Yeah, I meant to uh, do issue one, um, but then I didn't get my life together. And I think very... I think somebody did it on the website. Yeah. Oh, good. I got a very lovely email saying issue two is coming out. And I said, great, because I have given no thought to what I'm going to talk about on the show. And you've done it all for me. 
Uh, so nuclear power number two from Fanbase Press uh, basically examines in the well-trod, well-lauded um, trope, historical fiction trope, what if a bomb done was dropped of nuclear variety and what if we done got to deal with the fallout of it? Which is cool and interesting and uh, a very inspiring thing to think about. But in this case, it means people with superpowers, which is a very, very fun thing. Uh, kind of picking up the idea of children of the atom that we're used to seeing a proud comics tradition of dating all the way back to X-Men. Um, but portrayed in a much more uh, manga-esque style. If anyone read Gotham Garage, uh, Lynn Yoshi, it's the same um, artist. So you can definitely see the anime influence in the series, which for me is a very, very cool thing. Um, this is set in a version of the United States that has a new group of 13 colonies. Um, and they are run by the Joint Chief of Staff. And they are fighting, uh, you know, the usual Russia and other Americans. Issue one is a ton of exposition. It's a lot of words. It's basically the shorthanded history lesson of this world. And issue two, uh, which comes out next week, I can do basic math is where the story finally starts to hit. In issue one, we met Dr. Tochi. I'm assuming the pronunciation because it's Italian. They specifically tell you it's Italian and my Italian is rusty at best. Uh, AKA Claudia, she's our lead. She's a very smart doctor who works within uh, the governmental organization. And uh, we learned that she's pregnant. And for most people, that would be a joyous thing. But in this alternate world, about 25% of all babies are not born healthy um, and so are aborted very early as a result of latent radiation that's sort of been handed down genetically from their parents. Or so we're told. And issue two goes on to explain that it's not because 25% of the population um, are coming out. Uh, deformed and in pain and things like that. It's because they get fun things like superpowers. And Claudia is starting to get embroiled with the variants. That's what they call these quote unquote 25% um, of people. And she's getting the veil pulled back for her as the rest of us readers are, which is great. Um, when you read these two issues back to back, like I did it, very abruptly goes from a lot of exposition to a lot of action. I think in the overall arc of the story, it'll probably make a little bit more sense. Or if you're reading this week to week, this is a chance to actually live in the world. And like I said, the art is absolutely beautiful. Uh, Lin Yoshi also colors this like it is a uh, Russian or German Cold War propaganda film strip. So everything is like red, yellow, white, brown, black. It's really cool. Uh, not a ton has happened technically. Um, like if you're actually looking at the events, it's been a lot more telling, um, but this issue is giving us more seeing. I'm super, super excited to see where the rest of this goes. And it's only 99 cents, fam. So support uh, indie comics. Just go ahead and subscribe to this on Comixology. I think it's well worth your time. Oh, yeah. These 99 cent issues that they do at Comixology, uh DC has a bunch of digital firsts that are also 99 cents. Mm -hmm. It's a great way to get into a comic and at least get a taste for something without dropping $4.99 or $5.99 or $6.99 or whatever comics are, are these days. So that 99 cents getting like essentially half of an issue is, mm -hmm. is fantastic. And if they're doing this weekly, that's actually a really cool deal, too. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, definitely. All right, Ashley, thank you for that. 
And uh, dear listeners, if you want more reviews, well, you know where to go. I just told you this just a couple of minutes ago. Majorspoilers.com. That's where we have yeah, everything. That is the listening. that Get is the down. central HQ for everything that we do at Major Spoilers. It's the website. You can find our podcast there. You can find our reviews there. You can find articles there if you want to become a better uh, a better uh, GM. We've got articles there that you can go check out if you want to know what other comic books you might be into based on a certain theme. We've got So You Want to Read Comics. If you want to know what's been happening in the last 40 years of comics, Rand from Ookla the Mock has been uh, doing a series for, man, five years. I can't believe he's been doing it five years. Uh, next week will be the final uh, installment of that. But don't worry, Rand's not going away. And I may try to talk him into doing some uh, musical stuff for us in the future as well. So you can find out more over at Majorspoilers.com. Dot com. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a really exciting week because we get uh, smashing up of the chocolates and the peanut butters as we take a look at Star Trek Legion of Superheroes Volume 1 from uh, Chris Roberson, who's, uh, you know, I really enjoy his writing, have for decades now. And uh, also art by Jeffrey Moy, who I've also enjoyed for decades now. Because uh, when I got into the Legion of Superheroes, really got into the Legion of Superheroes, it was during uh, Moy's run on the uh, on the uh, the Archie Legion stuff. So uh, big crisis Legion reboot. Yeah. So I've always been a big fan of that. And I know. uh, And then his brother, uh, Philip, does the inks on this. So this feels like a book that would be right up my alley. And we kind of get that in that we've got uh, not quite mirror mirror. I found this is not like the Green Lantern one that we did uh, a couple of months ago, where it's just the Green Lanterns appear in the Star Trek universe. This is an alternate timeline where something has happened in the past where the Star Trek universe and the Legion of Superheroes universes collide, but then also never diverged into their separate paths. So if you're looking for, you know, um, the Fatal Five, but using Star Trek uh, villains, you're going to get that in this in this series. If you're yep. looking for uh, Flint, uh, who was the uh, the man who never aged or whatever that episode was, um, what was the name of that episode? Methuselah something? I forget what it was. Flint was in Requiem for Methuselah. Yeah, that's what it was. Requiem great. for Methuselah. Uh, if you want to see what a combo of him and Vandal Savage would be like, that's what you get in this issue. In fact, he's the big bad. Spoiler alert. Uh, he's also you- half Vandal Savage. If you want to see Kirk hitting on a, a, a blue lady in the form of a shadow lass, hey, you're going to get that here. Is this this uh, book? I think has something for everyone. So Matthew, why if don't you want you... a little bit of Q, but also maybe not a little bit of Q? Oh yeah, that, that I thought was that was the, so. When does so the Legion are coming back in their time bubble, uh, Matthew? But they're talking yes. about uh, the they um, they fought Dark Side. Uh, they've been uh, going and uh, getting. Uh, Shadow Lass's brother is a member of the Legion of Superheroes. When does this take place? Because this is not Shadow Lass's brother is at the Legion Academy. Okay. Uh, and uh, Cosmic Boy's brother, Magnetic Kid, has yet to join the Legion Academy. So this comes out post Great Darkness Saga. So uh, that's going to be around Legion of Superheroes 291, but sometimes after issue 300, where uh, Cosmic Boy's little brother gets nuked. And uh, his mother is killed and he has to like do a well, bunch of stuff. But so a little part of me is like, wait a minute. Uh, Lighting Lass and Saturn Girl are clearly involved here and probably married at this point. Mm-hmm. But uh, Cosmic Boy isn't wearing his uh, tarted up uh, costume. No, this is after that. This is his costume that he wore 
post uh, like 84, 85. Yeah, so there's a little bit of screwing around with uh, costume continuity going on here. No. No, we haven't gotten to this point in uh, the Legion Clubhouse. This is probably five years past where we are in that show currently as of this recording. Mm. But these costumes are analogous to one another. This is after the Great Darkness Saga, which means that Cam has gone to his purple suit. But I don't know exactly where it falls. And there's no place where I know that these six Legionnaires would be lost in a time bubble specifically. Uh, but we know it comes after the point where, uh, where you know, Timberwolf might have kissed Saturn Girl on a yeah, an asteroid. It comes after the Legion lost stuff, though, right? No, maybe not. No, years no. before that. Okay, all right. Ashley, uh, we also get some Star Trek stuff in here, so there's definitely some some Ashley uh, uh, action that we want to get into this show. And of course, the uh, the Starfleet guys end up getting into a weird uh, universe, like we we usually do with a teleporter accident. Yeah, this is very the Star Trek stuff of it. I just haven't read as much Legion. Um, is very like, what if? DC superhero characters just so happen to walk into a Trek adventure. And mm -hmm. I'm not mad about it, honestly. It very much feels like, yeah, a a holodeck, wacky, even though, uh, you know, TOS, no holodeck. I know. Don't tweet <laughs> me. Um, but it feel, this, this for me was kind of reminiscent of the Sherlock and the Moriarty episodes from mm -hmm. TNG. And if you don't like those episodes, you're wrong. Yeah. yeah. I, think that, I think the thing that really works for me, though, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, Rodrigo, and I don't know how much star trek and legion stuff you're into but i just love how they just seamlessly merge star trek stuff and legion of superheroes stuff together because when our heroes land on earth uh they are being attacked by the starfleet people which are flying on flying platforms that we see in legion of superheroes and they're wearing essentially uh for the most part what looks like science police costumes uh, in this piece. And so I really I really kind of dig how they've kind of blended, I think, fairly seamlessly Star Trek and Legion of Superheroes in this series. Yeah, there's it. It solves a lot of problems by sending the crew of the Enterprise and the Legionnaires to a third universe that has aspects of both. It's mm -hmm. actually a very elegant solution to. The problem that we've seen in all the other ones that um, these universes don't work together and are mm -hmm. stupid. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> and and continually show you their seams, unfortunately. Right. It's like, yeah. uh, you know, I'm I'm not a big fan of crossovers like this precisely for that reason, because I think it kind of uh, a lot of the time crossovers like this end up showing you what doesn't work about the stuff that you like because there's this other work that keeps shining a light on how it's like, oh, our book is, is like, hi, I'm Green Lantern. My book is very action-packed. Hi, I'm Star Trek. We're not. Like, we talk a lot. Mm -hmm. You know? like, And you just kind of end up with things like this. But, again, by taking both of these groups, putting them in a third situation that where none of them have complete knowledge or the upper hand or anything like that it, it also allows you to save the exposition for later and get right mm -hmm. to the action mm -hmm. so there's a lot of like again it's a very elegant solution and it allows you to on top of it make your own like little amalgam world and be like ah when it's like Khan, but he's got uh you know yeah 
it neutralizes skin. the home field advantage. Yep. But it also allows them to make some really deep cut references to yep, both absolutely. universes. Yeah. Which I really appreciate. I mean, for me, the moment that that sells it all is at the end where Q shows up dressed as Trelane from the Squire of Gothos, uh, which is an episode of Star Trek where a character who is very clearly a Q, but, you know, Q doesn't exist. Proto-Q, yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, see, that's the kind of thing that I'm here for. Or the moments where, you know, we see a Vulcan with green skin and blonde hair and I'm like, hey, that makes perfect sense because Koluans and Vulcans are basically the same guy, depending mm-hmm. on, you know, your parallel evolutions. Yeah. No, and I just like how they mixed, like I said before, uh, they take, you know, the Fatal Five and then they mix it with a Gorn and I forget all the other monsters, whatever the, the, uh, the ape with Thar- the horn on it. Dwayne Therock Johnson is half Rook from uh, What Are Little Girls Made Of? And then Validus is Validus <laughs> is uh, part uh, Mugatu or Gumatu, depending on whether you're DeForest Kelly screwing up your lines. I really appreciate their faux fatal five mm-hmm. in that their Emerald Empress is a green Orion woman. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, okay, that's funny. And I just wish that Kirk had gotten a chance to try and seduce her and then gotten zapped. Oh, I kind of thought that. We all know that Tendi is now the best Orion. Yeah. Yeah. I, for some reason, was thinking that um, Thayrock Johnson was supposed to be half Borg, but I guess that hasn't. I mean, they make a reference to the Borg in this, in they this piece. The Borg, I mean, yeah. it yeah. depends on how, like, obliquely you follow uh, Voyager willfully messing up the timeline about whether or not the Borg would have been around. Mm, okay. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's clearly drawn. To, they call him Rook, and he's clearly drawn to be half Ted Cassidy. Yeah. Although I do appreciate um, seeing the Gorn with the persuaders atomic axe. I don't mm-hmm. know why that's so funny <laughs> to me, but it is It's just like, okay, that's funny. So the lizard, you know, obviously star Trek, we get, we get the main cast in star Trek. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I think if you left out anybody, I mean, you really can't leave out anybody in this just We're in the way. Scott, well, yeah, he had to stay behind. They kind of write him off, uh, but at least he appears here. We get, uh, six Legion members. We got Saturn Girl, Lightning Lad, Cosmic Boy, Shadow Lass, Chameleon Boy, and Brainiac Five. Um, the best Legionnaire! W- Brainiac Five? Well, you should yeah. listen to this week's uh, Legion Clubhouse where he goes mad, 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 I tell you! Well, he's a Brainiac. Yeah, but it's, his, uh, his it's an ego interesting gets to choice because mm-hmm. when, when you take into account the Legion of 1985, right. that gives us the Founders, Mm-hmm. And the three who are the most freaky alien. And the fact that that means, oh, you know, three people, good who, point. three people who are basically humans with funny colored skin and pointy ears. But these are the characters who are the most alien of the Legion of this era, which mm-hmm. allows them to be thrown into moments with, you know, the Orions and the, uh, there's a, what do you, what are the blue guys with a thing? Oh, the, the, uh, the Andorians. Andorians, the Andorians yeah. are in here. And of course, the we do get third founding race of the Federation. Yeah, but yeah, I, <laughs> I I do like this choice of Legionnaires because honestly, there's 25 active mm-hmm. superheroes members at this point in time, and many of them would not be any fun in this context. Well, and the only reason I can think that Shadow Lass is in here is mm-hmm. because we need to get uh, Kirk wanting to to have sex with another alien lady. 
because that that seems to be a running gag at, at, at one point in one of the issues where he's like, mm, you are uh, very attractive in that uh, costume that you wear. And she's like, stop it. And then, oh, yes, uh, I wonder what it would be like to be with someone like you. And then someone pulls him aside and says, you don't want to meet her, her boyfriend, which That's is true. it was Monel. Um, right. And you can't you can't put Monel in here because you can't have Superman uh, flying around uh, exactly. in, this, in this series. Any of the other Legionnaires would have caused power imbalance problems. You know, mm-hmm. wildfire is too powerful. But, you know, Matter Eater Lad would be not necessarily powerful enough. And he's just a guy. Yeah. I like this choice where you have just enough power. I think probably the most powerful member of this squad is going to be, depending on how you argue it, Cosmic Boy. And sure. Cosmic Boy is just basically, you know, a walking magnetic field, which means when Kirk needs somebody to pick up the metal so that he can make a shield so that he won't get stabbed by a Klingon, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that just means Cosmic Boy can use his hands. Well, and I think that they choice. I think they use Cosmic Boy to good effect. And really, honestly, if you if this series had not had the three founders, I think there would have been problems uh, from my yeah. from my standpoint. But I like that when they use Cosmic Boy for his powers, it's like, well, I can't really hold this time bubble together because there's not that much metal. And then when they go into the past. And they're looking at the uh, brain controlled um, uh, primitive man and the the animals back then. He's like, well, there's not much metal in these uh, things, but I'll do what I can. And so I think they made that work very well. And I think that everybody had a moment to do their thing, except maybe Chameleon Boy is the one who doesn't get to use his powers the most. I know he takes down uh, the Gorn Persuader um, and he gets to pretend that he's a, a dominator. But he re- he's the one that I think doesn't doesn't do the most in this issue i guess is the way not the way that i want to say it but he's he's the one that does the least though you know yeah it is it really is i'd say the same about sulu who is kind of his counterpoint because Mm -hmm. each legionnaire kind of counterpoints a member of the crew you get your kirk cosmic boy leader people and then i've got your computer brained people and then you have uhura and shadow last kind of playing off of each other and i really appreciate the fact that you know a bones is their balance for Saturn girl, the telepath, because mm-hmm. they're both, you know, the heart of the, the, the matter, but chameleon boy and Sulu don't get a whole lot to do. And they're both kind of, you know, the swashbuckling guys who do cool stuff and occasionally say funny things. But I agree with you on that. I feel like though, if they did chameleon boy might actually throw things a little too mm. far in the superpower dimension direction. Yeah, maybe. Right, I mean, you, you, have some thoughts? you have some thoughts on this Legion makeup? Me? Yeah. Oh, um, yes. I think that it was smart to, uh, to have these specific Legionnaires um, because, yes, uh, sometimes, again, these crossovers have always have the danger of pointing out the weird stuff about the other property. Mm-hmm. And if you have a bunch of like really weird aliens, then it kind of points out that all the aliens in Star Trek just have rubber heads. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's that. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that uh, if you were picking these up as they were coming out or you find the back issues, you are going to be disappointed if you find some of these covers expecting to see some of the Legionnaires on them. I don't know if right. you guys saw the, yeah. the covers, but uh, you know, uh timberwolf is not in this yeah um or like projectra is like in one of the and all the pretty girls right and only one of those girls i think is actually in this (laughs) yeah yeah 
Uh, so what did you guys think of the combo of Vandal Savage and uh, Flint uh, as the as the villain in this? I, I really kind of once they explain, you know, how how the whole system works, there's a little bit of magic rock plus let me capture a genie in a bottle uh, kind of stuff. I thought that it, I thought that it, that combo as the villain was the was a really good choice. It was a really smart idea, and I think it made good use of what they both do and then mm-hmm. like the potentiality of them being together versus sometimes in crossovers like this it's like well i guess it's these two idiots running amok the right. entire time i mean it could have been like like uh what's his name harry mud and um uh, yeah. i don't know uh, rj way, brand harry mud is, is the villain of the i think it's countdown to darkness comic mm. miniseries yeah. mm-hmm. um and he's really good at that that's i think that's the best part about this because roberson really shows his nerd cred oh yeah because vandal savage and flint have the same canonically have the same origin yeah they are they are both you know early men who were somehow exposed to uh you know a frap ray that made them immortal and i feel like that that's the part that makes this for me better than star trek green lantern not just you know the universe breaking a green lantern ring next to the enterprise which is, you know, just, you, you can't, your brain, my brain doesn't do that. Yeah. I, I, I just can't slide the scale of science fiction hardness that far, but this book really nerds it up, but it, it nerds does. it up in, in quiet ways where if you don't need, you know, you don't need to understand that Vandal Savage and Flint are the same guy, but if you already know a little bit, it mm. gives you just enough to go, oh my God, wow, that's so perfect. Yeah, but they show just enough to make the story work, and let you bring your own nerdery to kind of you know pull out bits and pieces and go, oh, that's a reference to Legion. Oh, yeah. oh, that's so beautiful. And speaking of uh, Chris Roberson and uh, I forget who the artist, oh, Moy, getting their nerd on. We get a double page spread where they're basically like, yes, time travelers have come here before to try to stop this. And we get a a double page spread of like every time travel device ever. We got hot tub time machine. We got TARDIS. We got cosmic treadmill. We got Bill and Ted's phone book, uh, phone booth. We have the uh, city on the edge of forever um, uh, portal. We got time. We got the time tunnel. We've got the DeLorean. We've got the original time machine. I forget what else is in here. This is one of those where you could just go through. Not the cosmic treadmill. It's not there. Yeah, it's there. Is that I not just, the like, cosmic? Tra- the flash. No, oh, okay. no, it's there. <laughs> All right. Um, and then there is also. It looks like is that there's a bubble, but is that uh, Booster Gold's time bubble, or is this supposed to be the Legionnaire's time bubble? Oh, interesting. Booster Gold just stole a Legion time bubble. Yeah, but I'm trying to figure out why there's a time, why there's a you know a sphere here, unless there's something that I'm forgetting. Skeets did it. Let's say that. Yeah, maybe. And I and I honestly I couldn't tell you what all of the other time devices are. There's things on pedestals. There's, yeah, there's a golden the time knife machine from the from the 60s. Yeah, uh, from the from that. HG but I don't Wells know. Story. I don't know the two ships on either side of that time machine. And I don't know what the big purple one is either. Or I guess for Ooh. you, Matthew, it would be what green. Hush. I see purple. <laughs> it's the oranges that I can't see. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of looking at that time bubble and feeling like it looks familiar. But not in a legion way. Yeah. So I don't know. Oh, I mean, and I don't even know what that uh, the the column is there for. I don't even know what what time device that would be. 
That's another TARDIS. That's, oh, is uh, it? That's the first TARDIS or whatever the one that got. No, that's uh, the Ronnie. Oh, I assumed TARDIS. it was like an obelisk. Oh that's yeah, there the you go. Ronnie's TARDIS from um, Doctor Who. She's an evil, an evil time lord. Okay, well they tried to get everything in there, and certainly they they played. Yeah, I think the very close. From Stargate is. In oh yeah, there. that's right. Is in there. Uh, I think they played very close with what they could get away with license wise and what is in public domain kind of wise stuff. Smart. Uh, and <laughs> and again, choice. and a lot of these things, IDW publishing has licensing too. I don't know if at the time of this, I don't think they had the back to the future license yet, uh, but that's something that they have now. And of course, anything that would be DC, uh, they have access to that. And since this is star Trek, I think time tunnel, wasn't that a CBS show? So they can, they can throw that in there. So they, I think, I, I think if I remember clearly now, I think we had this up on the major spoilers website the day this issue came out. Cause I was like, ah, look at all the time devices. And then within a week or two, we had Chris Roberson on the podcast and I was talking about about this series and this page with him. So you guys might want to go back into the archives. This this double page spread triggers a lot of memories for me on that. So one thing that I, that I may be crazy, but I think the three ships on the upper right mm-hmm. are three different takes on the same H.G. Wells time machine from different adaptations. Oh, so with that one on the right, then or one on the I, I think left? That all three of those are versions of the time machine from a, a version of an H.G. Wells story. But yeah, because what was the one with uh, Jack the Ripper? Uh, that was think, uh, the time traveler. That was like a 1970s. I think that's what one of maybe that left one is. Would be. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. I'd have to. I don't know. I'd have to. Rodrigo, you got any time traveler nerd stuff going on that can uh, decipher some of these? Um, no, I think everybody's covered them. Pretty much. I was looking to see if there was a penny in there. Uh, for There's those a of you that, knife that I can't identify. Those of you that uh, understand some uh, Christopher Reeves action. Oh, oh, maybe it's. Uh, does the subtle knife allow you to travel through time? No, just universes. Just universes. I mean, they do say that they're in a different universe, so it could be that. Oh, uh, there's a penny. What's a penny. is there a penny in there? Okay. Yeah, it's right. It's right next to the uh, Tyrannosaurus behind the Batmobile. Oh, okay. <laughs> What's the what's the one spaceship there next to the uh, the the gate on the city on the edge of forever, whatever that one I forget what the name of that gate is called. The Guardian of Forever. The Guardian of Forever. But what's that spaceship next to that? The one that kind of looks like a Rick and Morty ship, but Rick and Morty hadn't been invented yet. With the bubble. Yeah. And the front part that opens. Yeah. That looks like the ship that um, the guy with the beard. Oh, is the Wayback Machine in here? <laughs> Ooh, maybe is that is that the Wayback Machine? No, that looks like um. Oh my God, it's a it's like a season three episode of Star Trek where a guy with a bad beard has to fight his own uh the counterpart something. Uh, uh anyway, they realize yeah, that, that there's a they realize that there's a Q trapped in a bubble and they have to use some Star Trek logic. Which really, I think that's that's where the the joy in this was is that they used a essentially a uh, I don't it was the robots uh, everything i say is a is a lie what i said is the truth or whatever right uh kind of tactic Compute to get the value of pi to the final decimal yeah to get a cue out of his out of his bubble and then finally he's just like oh here comes the paradox and then everything just resets was that a good ending for you guys or not uh, is it is it convenient i mean yes it is it convenient is. Um, but at least we had Q show up. Like he didn't just show up for this scene. Like we've seen way more ham fisted yes. endings or complete lack of endings to crossovers within the same universe. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess the reason why it felt a little weird to me as far as an ending goes is because it's not not weird. (laughs) No, I mean, you've got Kirk screaming at, uh, you know, Vandal Vandal Flint and you've got whoever's in the past doing the exact same thing, screaming about, you know, this is not what we are, blah, 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 blah. And it feels like the future story, the one that's set in the current time with Kirk and um, Chameleon Boy and, and Shadow Lass, getting Q out of there makes sense. But then it's just like everything that was going on in the past just seemed like we got too many people here. We got to get rid of half of these people and then never kind of resolve anything that's going on there besides the fact that they they freed the, uh, you know, they freed those people. And everything's okay, I guess, because now the time paradox meant that none of that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, we started with the, the big MacGuffin of, oh, yeah. Uh, the time bubble and the transporter interacted and uh, time travel shenanigans, boom. I feel like there's no real, really satisfying way to end this other than just by going, hey, we fixed it. Hooray. Everybody goes home. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, maybe it doesn't that's matter. That's Hunter's time sphere. Oh, there you go. That's that's uh, uh, you were right. You're staring at that and going, why do I know? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. I don't think that the ending really matters that much because the point is let's see these two different properties meet and do some things together it doesn't matter what really the story is as long as you can do something that's engaging and this is a pretty step-by-step what is it five or six issue miniseries that follows all the bits where the heroes meet they fight they team up they go up against the bad guy the bad guy reveals his plans they have to split the party and then they save the day kind of stuff um so it's it's a fairly straightforward story so I don't know if the ending really matters that much. Rodrigo, did you get a chance to, to weigh in on that? Um, yeah, so I think the thing that's unsatisfying about the ending is that nobody remembers anything, right? Yeah, right. I was I was hoping to get like a contact moment where like Brainiac 5 is like, okay, well, let me uh, defragment my brain. Oh, I've been recording for six extra hours that I have no account of or something. Something to say. A little Philip, it, yeah. yeah. Oh, that would be that cute. Says, it was all undone, but it's not that we didn't live it, you know, mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. This is why it will never be spoken of again. Yeah, exactly. Or, or yeah, like, uh, it, it would be cool if, like, both of the telepaths, right, because Vulcans are all, like, mildly telepathic, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. do get an inkling or briefly, like, are able to, like, talk to each other. And they're like, we should never mention this to anyone because it's going to mess with time. I was like, okay, so Spock knows, Saturn Girl knows, nobody else knows, right? Something like that would have been nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, to me, this just felt really nice just because it's got my one of my favorite writers and, of course, my two favorite Legion artists uh, all on this thing. So I, I really dug this a lot. And even though it has, a, it has flaws, I think the things that worked worked really well. And I got to give this a, a must buy recommendation. I'm sorry. I do. I got to give it a must buy recommendation because I enjoyed it that much. And if you're a Star Trek fan or if you're, and you're a Legion of Superheroes fan, you definitely, I think, want to. I definitely think you want to read this. Uh, Ashley, what about you? I think it is a must buy if you fit into the Venn diagram of that <laughs> which Stephen is describing. If you yeah. are uh, a little newer to comics or to crossovers or to these properties, um, I would say do a little more homework if you want to fully enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, this is fun. And something that Matthew said 
years and years ago, back when I was but a listener of the Major Spoilers podcast, was that if anniversary issues, crossovers, or events do nothing more than celebrate the characters in them, then they've done their job. And I think that extends to this. And I think of all the crossovers we read, this is probably my favorite so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy, I, I don't know if you could I don't know if you can beat this. And we've got Star Trek meets Planet of the Apes coming up. So, Rodrigo, final thoughts from you. Um, this is definitely out of all the ones that we've read so far, the one that works the best. Uh, again, I think because it it went in trying to solve the problem of how do we keep these two properties from clashing and the way to do it was to merge them um so just for that it's a good it's a good example of good crossover writing so if you're interested in that definitely pick it up otherwise i would say pick it up from the library it's fun again it's the least boring one of these we've read so far there you go matthew you get the final say this week i will say that as far as Big league, seemingly impossible crossovers go. This is kind of the gold standard for me. This is the one that it manages to honor two properties that absolutely should not work together and do it in a way that makes them both work. And it's the editorial thinking. It's that the things that pull it together are how do we how do we make this work well we get this carefully curated team of legionnaires we take these two concepts that are the same we merge them together we throw in the existing q who can you know snap his fingers and change the universe by the way his name was lazarus i can't remember the name of the episode it was the something something factor and that's his ship and also i'm pretty sure that uh, phineas fogg's uh, omni devices on one of those pedestals from voyagers but I am excited because I'm the the deep dive nerd for both of these properties. And at no point did I go, Bones would never say that. That's not the lightning lad that I know. And, you know, Ashley quoted that wise guy. I don't know who he is, but I want to hear him talk <laughs> more. This is a book that celebrates both properties. It does it effectively. And miraculously, it makes the things that don't mesh work just as well as the parts that do. And so, you know, you got two guys with pointy ears and Hey, it's a good time. Buy it. Go buy it. Buy it right now. If you are wanting to hear conversations with Chris Roberson from way back in the day, looks like the last time he was on was over 400 uh, episodes ago. Issue 525 was the last time that he was on uh, where I was talking with uh, Allison Baker and uh, Chris about monkey brain comics. So you can go check that out. And the time before that, it looks like he was on episode 387. Uh, so uh, he hasn't been on the show in a long time. Maybe we need to, to get him back. Mm, I have to, have to reach out. Anyway, that's where we're going to wrap up this week's episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of everything we do here at Major Spoilers. It's all for you, Damien, and we want to hear your feedback. Join the cool kids at the Major Spoilers Discord server. You can share your thoughts and reactions to this and every episode. Or you can drop us an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com, and you might, you might, if you're really nice, hear your words on an upcoming episode. And don't forget, you can support this show and does Prince of Persia use the knife to time travel? Oh, that's right. Yes, there you go.
That's and good. everything we do by becoming a patron <laughs> at patreon.com slash major spoilers. We will be back next week. We're going to give some invincible thoughts on the uh, television series. The first season of that, we're going to do that. And, uh-oh, you guys better start uh, eating your brain food because Jimmy's back with another quiz show. That's all coming up wow. next week on the Major Spoilers Podcast. Why? Because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Fat the X-ray vision of a Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well, I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew They kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler. It's like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun bee In the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah Major Spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.